This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and I'm here, as always, with Brian Calm. Hi, everybody. We've got a big show this week, lots of players to talk about. We want to help you win your pool. But help us help you by sending us an email, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. You could ask us questions. We'll give you fantasy hockey advice. We'll give you an example of that later in the show. You could also tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We love the tweets. But let's start with how Brian and I did this week. Brian, how are you doing? You were in first place last week. Are you still in first place? Well, yeah, because at the time of recording, the week's not over. But when it is over, I won't be, which is really unfortunate. I know it was a really exciting thing to be first in this league. I'd finally climbed the mountain, so to speak. Right. And the league that you're in is with a whole bunch of fantasy hockey experts, right? This isn't some chum league. Yeah, generally writers and bloggers and stats guys. So um, it's hard. And I was really proud of myself to to get up there. But I'm going to fall pretty quickly this week. I'm down with one more day of games to go. I'm down 10 to 2. Oh, no. Yeah, it's going to be pretty rough. I think I'll probably maybe fall back to fourth or fifth if I'm lucky. I'll I'll stick around there because it's all still pretty close. So what's happened this week? Why, Why are you doing so poorly? Well, I have plenty of people to blame. I have five players on my roster who have gone pointless, and some of that is my fault. You know, I took a gamble on Timonen a couple weeks ago. But Charlie Coyle and Tyler Sagan and P.A. Parento, I expect those guys to get at least a point. Uh, and almost two-thirds of my roster this week had one point or less, and that, that includes the three guys I just mentioned. Only three had more than two points, and those are Patrick Kane, uh, Louis Erickson and James Van Riemsdyk. You know, Brian, I got to interrupt you. The way you said that P.A. Parento, Tyler Sagan, and Charlie Coyle, as if like those three are in the same caliber. Charlie Coyle's kind of a risky guy also, wouldn't you say? Okay, true. But I really should be able to count on him for at least one point. I mean, if you look at the, the bright side is that Minnesota, who he plays for, just played a back-to-back against Colorado. And so Varlamov didn't give up any goals, but my goalies, Varlamov, Harding, and Backstrom didn't do enough to to get me the win, despite the fact I'm going to read to you my opponent's goalies this week. Are you ready? Okay. Thomas Grice, Phoenix backup. Carter Hutton, Nashville backup. Hmm. And Al Montoya, Winnipeg backup. That's his goalie team. Those are his goalies. And he beat you? And he beat me. You need a minimum of two starts to qualify in the goalie categories. So, you know, you can't just play once and be able to win a category because your goalie played, you know, two minutes of shutout hockey. Uh, But his goalies played a combined total of exactly two games. 
and Grice had a win, gave up one goal, stopped 28 of 29 shots. Montoya played one game, got one win, gave up two goals, stopping 28 of 30 shots. So my goalies were very admirable that 919 save percentage, 2.12 goals against, but they could not beat this three backup tandem that I came up against this week, which is really upsetting. And my offense is supposed to cover for it. This week it didn't happen. Plus the guy I'm against, he had only one player on his team scoreless all week, and that was Drew Stafford. Uh, Chris Kunitz had six points for him. Jason Garrison had a goal and two assists. Verbata, Pacioretty. Couture, Bacchus, Bergeron, Zetterberg all put in good performances this week for him. So he had an on week, even though he's in 12th place. I guess he just squeaked by with his goalies. That made a big difference. And uh, I had an off week. So I'll be falling. Uh, any any better for you? I mean, you have a huge cushion in your first place. So I think even with a bad week, you wouldn't be in any danger, right? Yeah, I'll definitely stay in first place. But I am losing this week just like you. I feel like we have a symbiotic relationship here. When you win, I win. When you lose, I lose. I'm not sure why that is, but this week has been tough. I've been hit with some injuries, which has been really frustrating. I actually had one day where I decided I'm going to make a change on defense. I'll get to it later, but I dropped a defenseman. I picked up a new defenseman. Then the next day I find out that Dennis Weidman is going into the IR. But I'll I'll interrupt and say that if you're depending on Dennis Weidman, then you're already in a little bit of bad shape. Right, yeah, my defense isn't that great. But that was frustrating. Then also, on the same day, I saw that Evander Kane and Paul Stastny both went to day-to-day status. Evander Kane still hasn't come back. Paul Stastny did come back and did nothing in his return game. Then, yeah, these guys who don't give you any points this week... You know, Tobias Enstrom, who we talked about last week as the big guy I traded for, he still hasn't done anything for me. He played three games, got a total of three shots and zero points. I have Marek Zidlicki on defense, who has been good this year, but for some reason this week he's had four games and no points at all. He'll be back, though. Yeah, so a slow week. I still have a chance to win. I'm losing four to three in the seven categories. And one of the categories is special teams points, and I'm only losing by one in that. And I've got three players playing today, Zetterberg, Carlson, and Goligoski to his, Alfredson, and Garrison. So you'd think I might be able to get at least one or two more power play points than him. So I might end up squeaking by this week four to three. My story's been opposite of yours in that my goalies have carried me through. So aside from shots on goal, which is the only offensive category I'm winning, I'm winning both of my goalie categories. So Antony Yemi and Semyon Varlamov, I'm going to be riding these two, I think, till the end of the year. In a league with two goalies, I think if you have those two, you know, you're pretty much set. Yeah, for sure. And of course, it's a classic fantasy hockey strategy. You can lock down a certain amount of categories with a very small portion of your roster. So it's important that you got that right. Yeah. And so, you know, even if I lose this week, I won't be too mad. I'll just, I just hope that Evander Kane will come back from his injury. I hope that my defense will pick it up. And I hope that my move I made this week will pay off for me. As I hinted at, I decided to drop Jake Muzzin and I picked up Andy Green from New Jersey, who was heating up and I decided, okay, I'll take a try on him. So the day I picked him up, he had a goal and an assist. So that didn't count for me. But since then, I've had two games with him. Two assists, one in each game, one of them on the power play. So this guy, I'd like to ask you, is is he just hot right now and he's going to disappear? Or is Andy Green here to stay in New Jersey? And follow-up question, is he taking away Marek Zidlitschke's points? 
Well, I think exactly what you've touched on. I think when Zilichki is faltering, Green is going to get more of a look. And he's capable. I mean, he's done it over the course of his career. I mean, it's been four years ago now since he got 37 points in 78 games, which was a career high by far. Last year, he had 16 points in 48 games, which uh, isn't quite the same point rate. But he can produce in spurts. And when you're getting top power play unit minutes, that's what you'll do. So I think if you have Green and Zidlitschke on your team, you're going to get the power play points on New Jersey from the back end. It's just a matter of which one is going to give them to you. Right. Yeah. So I guess it's nice to know that when New Jersey scores, there's a good chance I'll get a point because I also have Patrick Eliash. But at the same time, it's New Jersey we're talking about. So how often does that happen? Right. Not often enough. I wouldn't invest heavily in Devils, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. All right. So did you make any moves last week, Brian? I did. I had slightly better luck on my timing than you with Andy Green. I was inspired by your comment last week asking why I would swap wild fourth and third string goalies and have this guy on my roster who's likely never going to start a game. And I took that to heart and I dropped him. I dropped him for Cody Eakin. So who did you drop, sorry? Darcy Kumper. Oh, yes. Okay. Camper. He's not going to play for a while. Quimper. Kimper. Oh, yeah. People have been giving you a hard time about your pronunciations. I'm hedging my pronunciation bets this time. Okay. I dropped him for Cody. Oh, my. Here's another one. Eakin? Aiken? I'm pretty sure it's Eakin, but I'm a little paranoid now. Understandably. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to call him Eakin for today. Email if it's wrong. Uh, Cody Eakin, uh, he's quietly put up six goals and eight assists uh, worth 14 points in 24 games. He's getting 17 minutes a night on Dallas's second line and a fair amount of power play time. And the day that he was active on my roster, he grabbed a goal and an assist for me. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll have improved over last year's half point per game pace when the season's all said and done. Uh, His shot percentage is probably due to regress a bit, but for now he makes a decent pickup in deeper pools, and such as my own. Uh, I made another move, and I joined you in acquiring Enstrom. You got him last week, I got him this week, except I didn't have to pay anything for him, except 13% of my waiver budget. And I dropped Roman Yosi for him. And I'll be honest, I, I stopped paying attention to Yosi because... My team was doing just fine with him when he got injured early in the season. In fact, the replacements I had for him, like Eric Johnson and Jonas Prodine, had actually outplayed him in their time with my team compared to what he's done for me while healthy. So I didn't want to cut him loose for nothing because I had picked him unreasonably soon in the draft. I was trying to fill out my roster. I should have gone for the best player available, but that's a mistake I'll learn from next year. Anyway, uh, but Tobias Enstrom was dropped. His owner was impatient and rightfully so. I mean, there's really no point in counting on him. And if you're not ready to wait it out, then I guess cut loose, even though that Enstrom was his keeper defenseman. So I was a little surprised. Uh, So I grabbed him. I grabbed him. I dropped Yosi, picked up Enstrom. Enstrom still hasn't done anything, right? We're we're still waiting. Um, But I have faith that he's going to break out eventually. And being where I am in my league, especially in a head-to-head format where everything resets after each week. You know, it gives me the benefit of waiting a few weeks, giving him time to get going and letting the rest of my team carry the load as they did when Yosi was on my roster. And I mean, the bright side is that they're not giving up on him. The The Jets, I mean, he's had more than four minutes of power play time 
three times in his last eight games. So something's got to give sooner or later, and I'm hoping he'll still be on my roster when that happens. Yeah, so I have NHL Game Center, and so I've actually watched a couple of Jets games over the past couple of weeks since I picked up Enstrom. And he's on the ice a lot, and he seems to be involved. It's very frustrating to see him pass to someone who then takes a shot, and the goalie makes the save, and you're like, oh, just, oh, come on, Enstrom. But it doesn't seem like he's playing poorly. It seems like bad luck. So I really hope he'll pick it up. Both of us will do great, and we'll end up changing the podcast name to Keeping Enstrom. Your point about luck, I thought there might be something to it, but his PDO is 100 on the nose. So really, his team isn't letting him down in shooting percentage when he's on the ice or save percentage when he's on the ice. So I I don't know what's going to give, really, because there's nothing really, like we talked about earlier, there's nothing that's a dead giveaway in his numbers saying something's wrong. So just got to hope that his talent did not disappear overnight. Right. There you go. That's the best. That's the thing about our podcast. You'll hear a schmuck like me talking about, you know, what he saw in the game. (laughs) But then you have smart people like Brian who look at the numbers and tell you what's really going on. Yeah, but then you have people telling me I'm a schmuck and to get my nose out of the stats and to watch the stupid games. Yeah, well, those people should listen to the TSN panel podcast where they talk about whether there should be fights. Yeah, yeah, we'll leave that to them. And I I try to balance it. A healthy balance is the right answer. Everything in moderation, right? No, just numbers. (laughs) Okay. Well, speaking of numbers, I paid more attention to those when I dropped Tyler Toffoli and added David DeHarnay. Oh, I recall you had DeHarnay at the beginning of the year and you dropped him. Yes, those listeners who have been with us since the very beginning will remember DeHarnay appearing in this podcast as a draft day disappointment for me. He really let me down. I dropped him when his slump was only mildly alarming, but not yet disastrous. And of course, the Habs, they just signed him to a contract. They're sort of tied to it. It's a good value if he can play the way they expect him to. So they're giving him every opportunity to bounce back. And it seems like he's taking those lately. He has seven points on the season only, uh, but six of those have come in his last six games. He has positive possession numbers, and he could be worthwhile while he's on this run. And hopefully he'll keep it up in some sort of consistent fashion. He's not the first guy I drop on my team if he keeps doing this. And the person I dropped for him was Tyler Toffoli, who I advocated picking up a couple weeks ago because Jeff Carter was injured and he was taking his spot on a line with Mike Richards and Dwight King. However, Jeff Carter is back sooner than expected, which is great news for Brett from last week's episode, if you'll remember, who acquired him in a trade. But mm-hmm. bad news for Tyler to fully owners such as myself because he's been bumped to a checking line role. He's lucky lately if he sees 11 minutes a game. And it looks like he's just sort of playing out time until he gets sent down because there's not a space for him to score in the top six right now. Although I think that he could do just fine playing with Richards and Carter. But the Kings believe in Dwight King in that spot. Right. So basically it sounds like if anyone's still hanging on to Tyler to Foley, they might be snoozing. They might be snoozing, exactly. Uh, but we'll get to our snoozers segment later on in the show. Let's move on to some tweets and emails that we received from our valued and appreciated listeners. Let's start with an email from Spencer. He's in a 12-team league, not a keeper, and he's right now at the bottom of his league. And here's what he said. I have Stamkos, obviously first pick of our draft. He's out, and while my IR doesn't affect my roster, I was wondering if I should use Stamkos as trade fodder to those less knowledgeable. My thinking is this. 
He's most likely out until at least the Olympics, which end at the end of February. With the season over mid-April, is he worth holding on to, or should I use him to trade for someone who will get me points for the next three months? Right, and it, he mentioned in the in the first paragraph that his league is ranked by points. It's not head-to-head, so it's cumulative points over the season. Right, so basically he's asking if Stamkos is going to get more points in the limited time he plays versus someone else he could get now. Right, and it's a really good question, especially if you're at the bottom of your league and, and you need the help immediately. You don't have the time to spare with Stamkos on your IR. You need to be collecting points all year. So maybe what Spence is asking is it could be worthwhile to send Stamkos out and assume that whoever he gets in return will be valuable enough that his output over the rest of the season will outpace Stamkos's for whenever he gets back. So what did you say, Brian? I told Spence, by the way, Spence McGinn's, a.k.a. going to Jerusalem, like Claude like Jerusalem. Good team name. I'd like to team names. It's a good idea for, for emails and tweets. You should include them. Um, but yeah, I think especially in a league that isn't head-to-head, holding on to Samco's might not be worth a whole lot. A lot of it depends on his recovery. I think last week everybody was like, oh, he's not walking with crutches. You know, he, he looks healthy all of a sudden and he must want to get back soon as he can for Team Canada. And it's really hard to say, right? We're not there. There's not going to be much info leaking until he's ready to return. But assuming that he has the average recovery period, which, like Spence said, would take him to the end of February, I think it is really savvy to look around and see if you can find an owner who's going to think, oh my gosh, Steven Stamkos, he was number one in our draft, I can get him, especially if they're at the top of the table, right? If they're ahead in the league standings, they can spare, you know, a little bit of production and hope that Stamkos will come in at the end and put them over the top. Right, so what kind of player do you think he could get for an injured Steven Stamkos? In his email, he included a trade offer he had made. And he said he was dealing with an offer. It's a counter offer. And the deal that was being considered was him trading Franz Nielsen, Ryan McDonough, Vinny LeCavalier, and Steven Stamkos for David Perron and Patrick Marlowe. Hmm, yeah, that's a lot of pieces. Kind of have to work out what the total value is. So he's giving away four players for two And one of them is still named Steven Samko. So let's break it down really quickly. Franz Nielsen, he's hot or has been hot. It'll tail off. His pace was unsustainable, and he'll do that a couple times over the season. But it's a good idea to sell high on him when he was streaking. Ryan McDonough, he's a defenseman. He's coming on, definitely coming on. It's hard to say because he hasn't really established a career benchmark. But seeing any production from him is a good sign. So he's, he's fairly valuable. Vinny LeCavalier, who has sort of been understated, I think, in his role with the Flyers. There's so many big names on that team that people sort of forget, but he's been producing consistently. And Sam Coase, who is injured, and trading those four for David Perrin and Patrick Marlowe. And a note on David Perrin, I read an excellent article on him recently on Oilers Nation, written by Jonathan Willis. Is David Perron McTavish's masterpiece? And maybe that's just a flashy title because a lot of it was about Perron's shot rates. Have you looked at his shot rates lately, Elon? I remember when I played the guy in my league who had David Perron, I got killed in shots that week because Perron took so many shots. It drove me crazy. Yeah, and what this article is saying is that he's taking about double the shot pace he has in his whole career, and he's 25. And one thing this article points out is that shot totals are generally stable over a player's career. And it's rare to see as 
large a jump in shot totals as we're seeing in David Perrin's numbers. Like I said, almost double. He's on pace for 328 shots in 82 games this year. His career high is 166. So I'm not exaggerating when I say double. And he's also doing well point-wise, right? He's got 19 points in 23 games. Right. And the article also says that his shooting percentage has roughly doubled what it was last season. So it's not likely, at least goal scoring, that he'll continue on the goal pace he's on. But still, I think we're still going to see a spike in his numbers, especially also if you're taking more shots, it's creating more rebounds, which gives you the possibility of scoring assists when your teammates put it away. Okay, so David Perrin's a good pickup. Patrick Marlowe, I mean, what really needs to be said about him? He's going to get you 70 points, I'd imagine. Yeah, he's good for between 60 and 70 points. So you have two guaranteed producers, or at least seemingly guaranteed producers. The article also mentions that Perron's shot rate could regress towards the end of the year, but there's a lot of factors working in his favors. So David Perron and Patrick Marlowe, as a return for... Franz Nielsen, Ryan McDonough, Vinny LeCavalier, and Stamkos. Now that we've broken it down, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think? Because I'm starting to second guess what I wrote, Spence. Um, well, okay, so I didn't read your response. So I could go into this fresh, and I'm going to say, well, first of all, it depends who he's going to pick up as the replacement if he does, you know, this basically three for two, so not even considering Stamkos. Right. But assuming he could get someone who's, let's say, a half a point per game player, which is usually what you'd find on the waiver wire... I think it's pretty good. I guess it really depends on the Stamkos factor. Well, even 10 games of Stamkos will get you 10 to 15 points. So it is. It's really hard not knowing when he comes back. So I think the gist of my response to Spence was that if you can get another piece that will just act as some kind of insurance, should Stamkos come back earlier than everyone expects? And I mean, the only indication is that he will. We haven't heard that there's been setbacks in his progress. We've heard that there's been miraculous, unheard of recovery. So I would want another piece to really make sure maybe a defenseman who's an upgrade on McDonough or maybe another forward who, you know, is a decent, maybe 40, 45 point guy back in return for Nielsen. I think that would be a reasonable request. When you look at David Perron and Patrick Marlowe coming to your team and take Sam Coast out of the equation, I mean, it's really obvious deal but the fact that he could come back sooner than expected and he can score in 10 games what other players take 20 or 25 to do even good players it makes me think and and ask for more or see if somebody else in the league will overvalue Stamkos more than the player he's trading with right now it seems at best it's maybe a fair trade but not like you're getting away with robbery by overselling Stamkos which is kind of what you want to do at this point yeah, and I, I think the risk is probably evenly divided between the two owners, too. So it's a really interesting trade, and I asked Ben to get back to us and let us know how it turns out. So please do. Mm-hmm. All right, so aside from emails, we also got a couple of tweets, which I'd like to share and get your thoughts on, Brian. Yeah, and what's the Twitter account where we can be tweeted at again? That's at Keeping Carlson. We got the at Keeping Carlson handle. Can you believe it? So Adam W tweeted at us asking, thinking of dealing Briz and Penner for Miller and Perrin. Oh, Perrin again. Hoping Miller gets dealt before deadline. Have Niemi and Smith. Thoughts? So he has Niemi and Smith. He also has Brizgolov and Penner. And he wants to get Miller and Perrin for those two. What do you think? 
Well, we already talked about Perrin and what he's doing shot wise and how that might affect his point totals. I think, you know, he's looking at a career year right now at the age of 25. Can I jump in here? Yeah. I'll be the expert for this question. Okay. This to me is an obvious trade because I'd rather have Perrin than Dustin Penner. Penner right now is on a great line. He's hot right now, but I'll still take Perrin to have more points at the end of the year. And Brizgalov, you know, he had his first game. He did amazing. Everyone was so excited. The next game he got pulled. So I'm not on the Brizgalov bandwagon. Plus he's on Edmonton. Miller's on Buffalo. Not too much better, but I think Buffalo is better than Edmonton. And I also think Miller will probably get traded, like at Adam W. said. So if you could get this deal, I think you should take it. Yeah, I agree. And the kicker for me is that he's also got Niemi and Smith in goal. So, I mean, he can really wait to play Ryan Miller when he needs to. He can wait a couple months and let Ryan Miller get traded. So you're saying he would just leave Miller on the bench and not even play him until he's on a better team? Or only if he needs him, depending on the format of the pool. I mean, you can ride Niemi and Smith probably to most of your goaltending wins, but if you need, say, extra saves or one of them really blows it in a game, Ryan Miller's stats are incredible. I mean, it's really strange to see a goalie who has a 918 save percentage but is still giving up three goals a game. Here are the goals against averages of the goalies in the league whose save percentages are close to Miller's. 2.06, 2.21, 2.51, 2.49. They're not even within a half a goal of his goals against. So that shows huge quality. He's also got five wins. Only uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, who also is at 918 save percentage, has 14 wins. And the Emmy, who's at 917, has 15 wins. So yeah, it definitely sounds like if Miller was on a better team, he could become an elite goalie in the league again. People talk a lot about how Miller is probably going to get traded at some point this year. Which teams do you think would even be in need of a goalie like Ryan Miller? Like, Where can we expect him to go? This isn't really something I know the answer to, not having the insider knowledge, but two teams I have seen mentioned over the course of the season were Edmonton, who signed Brizgalov. So I don't think it's going to happen at this point, but who knows? Except I'm just seeing something here that Edmonton is actually on Ryan Miller's no trade list. He he gets eight teams to not be traded to. Edmonton's one of them. Smart. Another team. And that's not really going to help his numbers to go from Buffalo to Edmonton. So that wouldn't be the trade that the Ryan Miller owners are hoping for. Although Buffalo is historically bad. There is an excellent article from James Myrtle in the Globe and Mail about just how pathetic their season has been to date. And then they beat the Leafs. So that was good timing. So Globe and Mail, James Myrtle, Buffalo Sabres. Google those three terms and you'll find it. Uh, the other team where I could, where I've heard of him maybe being a fit is in New York with the Islanders. Oh yeah, okay. I guess that's an upgrade. Yeah, so it would make sense. But from what I've heard, it seems like Buffalo wants to trade him sooner rather than later. But they also only have an interim GM right now, and someone who's never been a GM before, in Pat Lafontaine, and they're looking to hire a full-time GM. I don't know where they are in terms of making trades or not. It seems like they'll make a deal if there is one, but I don't think they're rushing to before hiring a a full-time permanent GM. So bottom line, Rizgalov and Penner trade them away if you can get Ryan Miller and David Perrin back. I I have a bit of a a blurb on on Penner if you want to hear it. Go for it. Well, he's almost on a point-per-game pace. 
this year. So it's looking really good. 21 points in 22 games. But you mentioned that he's playing on the top line with Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry. So as long as he's with them and everything's clicking, I think, you know, he might not keep that up. If you look at his shooting percentage, it's super high. It's more than triple his 5% rate that he carried over the last three years in L.A., and it's even a couple points higher than his career high with the Oilers back three, four seasons ago now. But again, as long as he's with those two elite players, he'll ride their coattails. But I'd much rather have David Perrin, who can rely on himself to produce, rather than Dustin Penner. I wonder if that trade will even be accepted. I guess it's easy for someone to be like, I'm thinking of offering these two for these two. It's different for actually getting it to go through. Yeah. So keep us posted at Adam W. The other tweet I wanted to read was from at the disciple 11 at keeping Carlson. Should I continue to hold on to Voracek? I'm in a 14 team league head to head points. Great podcast, by the way. Thank you at the disciple 11. Brian, what do you think about Voracek? Yeah, keep them. If you, if there are any Philadelphia flyers on your team that you have suffered through the first you know like fifth of the season with while the whole team was trying to figure things out now is not the time to cut ties with them unless there's something really tempting especially Voracek he's good for 50 points I think and during the shortened season last year he was outstanding he was almost on a point per game pace he is pointless in his last four games but he has 13 shots on goal in those games so it's not like he's not a part of the offense and like I said if you've held on to him for this long just as the Flyers are turning around, is not the time to finally say goodbye. Right. And to be fair, before those last four games, the six or so games before that, he was getting one or two points in each of those games. So I think Voracek is very likely to turn it around. And he is playing with Claude Giroux, right? Well, according to Frozen Pool, uh, which you can access at DauberHockey.com, Voracek is playing on the first line two-thirds of his minutes, with Scott Hartnell and Claude Giroux, and he's also seeing first-line power play time. Yeah, especially if you're in a 14-team league, I'm sure you don't have a free agent option available that's going to be better than Jacob Voracek. I asked him who who else was available in his league, and he said Braden Shen, Ryan Johansson, Tyler Ennis, Wayne Simons, and Mason Raymond. So Shen and Simons, same team, lesser roles. So I sort of threw them out right away. Ryan Johansson makes me think... He has 10 goals and 9 assists in 27 games played so far, including 8 points on the power play. Although, over the first 3 weeks of November, he went on a stretch of 13 games where he only tallied onto the score sheet in 2 of them. But lately, he's back on track. He has 4 goals and 2 assists and 15 shots on goal in his last 4 games played. He's been producing on the power play and anchoring his line. So, Johansson made me think... Ennis, definitely not. Raymond, the Leafs are having a really hard time. So I think Voracek, even so, even with Johansson being as solid as he has been, I think Voracek is still the clear front runner here. So that does it for our email and tweet segment of the week. Get your emails and tweets into us for next week. So it's keepingcarlson at gmail.com and at keepingcarlson on Twitter. Brian, I really enjoyed our snoozers segment of last week. These were people who you may have drafted or picked up, and then you forgot they were still on your roster and you're snoozing on them. Who are your snoozers this week? Well, one of them was someone I was snoozing on, and we talked about it already, Roman Yosi. He 
has four points in 17 games this season. His peripherals aren't strong either, not even averaging two blocks a game, averaging just barely above two shots a game. He had four blocks in his most recent game, but in his last 10 games, he has three points and to me is is mostly a non-factor. So Roman Yosi, I was snoozing. I dropped him. Okay. Anyone else? Okay, two more. The first one is Mikhail Granlund. And we have to be fair, he's only managed to play one game since November 20th because of injury. So if you have an IR or IR plus slot available for him, you could use it on him. But before that, he was still cold. He had no points in seven straight games, even though he was still getting good minutes with good players. I would probably chalk it up to being a young player who's still trying to find a complete game, and maybe now that he's out, he was playing with some injuries too. In a deep league, you should definitely hold on to him, especially if it's mostly keepers or you have a farm system, but otherwise, I would let him go, especially if he's taking up an active roster spot until he's healthy and showing signs of life again. All right. Granlin's a loser. Who else? Dupuis. Pascal Dupuis. And I think it's funny that it's surprising to hear him this year not producing because it was really surprising that he had a career year in his 10th NHL season at the age of 32. That was two seasons ago. And then he repeated it last year in the shortened season. But this year he hasn't seen that continue for the third time in a row. He's seeing what appears to be some serious regression. He's been demoted to a checking line role in his last handful of games He has three goals and 10 assists in 28 games on the season. He's only shooting at 4.4%, and he has only one goal and one assist in his last 13 games. He's still shooting the puck, which is a good sign, and his shooting percentage is fairly low, so you might expect him to keep producing a little better than he is right now. But I think if he is in your roster and you're not in a deep league, it's time to reevaluate and especially keep a close eye on his line mates using either left wing lock or frozen pool. Interesting. Yeah, Dupuis, you think of as like a star player you need to have. But yeah, when you look at his numbers this year, it's definitely fallen back to what he used to be. Interesting. I had been snoozing on Dupuis. I don't even have him. I just assumed he was doing well. <laughs> yeah, me too, until he was dropped on my league. Moving on, we're almost to the end of the show. I know you're going to do your rundown of players of note to close us out. First, I have one player I wanted to ask you about. There's a guy who I think is overachieving he's had an amazing career but at this point i never would have expected him to be having a year that he's having this year shane doan on the phoenix coyotes he's at a point per game pace is he going to be able to keep this up for the rest of the season or is now time to try to sell high on shane doan the thing about shane doan and we talked about this on a recent podcast is that the coyotes are showing a different side to their team than we've seen in recent years so i feel like bets are a little off on what the Coyotes and their players are capable of. I don't know if they're going to go back to their highly defensive and lowly offensive ways. Uh, But Shane Doan is definitely along for the ride. Like you said, he has 11 goals and 9 assists for 20 points in 25 games, 76 shots on goal, which is about what he was on pace for last year. The number that really jumps out at me, and it's one of the first places I go to when I'm trying to figure out if I should sell high, is his shooting percentage. He has 11 goals on 76 shots, which gives him a percentage of 14.5%. His career percentage, in, of course, he's been in the NHL forever, he's 37 years old, is 10.2%. So I would argue that he's scoring at a rate that is unsustainable right now. 
He's also just come off a monster stretch where he put up points in 12 of 13 games. And I think his value could be at its highest right now. I'd be curious to see what you could get for him. If you can get somebody that you can really count on producing, if somebody still overvalues Shane Doan, I would definitely try and take advantage of that. Thanks for the insight, Brian. Take note, all you Shane Doan owners, maybe time to offer a trade. Let's close out the show. Another great show, but we're not done yet. Brian, give us our rundown. You got 30 seconds per player. Go. Well, Mark Arcobello, you might have noticed he's been recalled to the NHL Edmonton Oilers from their Oklahoma City Farm Club. He started off the season. We know his name because he had 10 assists in 10 games to start the year. Then he followed up with only two goals in his last 12 games played. He's shooting the puck still quite a bit, but he's got a Tyler Kennedy-like shooting percentage at just 4.3%. In his last game, he lost 9 out of the 11 face-off draws he took and played mostly on the third line. If you were excited to see him back in the NHL and thinking he might be a good depth pickup, I wouldn't be so quick to do that. Okay, Mark Arcobello, keep him on the free agent list. Or let your opponents pick him up. Yes. Next. We've talked about Ryan Johansson's success lately on Columbus. Let's talk about one of his line mates, not Boone Jenner, who still has minimal fantasy value. Nick Foligno. He's playing right alongside Johansson and having his most consistent season yet in the league. And I think most people were ready to watch his brother Marcus break out with the Sabres. Nick in his last 10 games, has three goals and four assists. He's playing regular top six in power play minutes. He's also seeing an increase recently in his offensive zone starts, which might explain his scoring bump. Uh, Keep in mind, his PDO is a touch high, and his shooting percentage is sky high at 20%. So don't be fooled for too long, but I think as long as he's playing winger to a streaky and successful Ryan Johansson, good things might continue to happen to him. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I remember him back from those days of him being on the Ottawa Senators. I remember my wife saying that she thought he was the ugliest Ottawa Senator. Fun fact. Don't pick Nick Foligno in an attractiveness fantasy hockey pool. Right. Anyone else? Yeah, and one footnote on Foligno. It looks like Brandon Dubinsky is going to return to the Columbus lineup sometime this week. So what I said about Foligno might be rendered unimportant, uh, depending on where Dubinsky slots back into the lineup. Right, yeah, so keep your eye out for that. Second last one, Martin St. Louis. I'm sure you're feeling it, Elon, with him usually carrying your team, right? Yeah, every once in a while he's giving me like a three-point game and it's very excited, but he follows it up with a couple of games with nothing. What's going on with St. Louis? Well, that's exactly what's happened. I think the whole team is struggling without Stamkos. They really persevered the first couple games without him, uh, but the Lightning have only 10 goals in their last five games Half of those came in a single game, and that was a game where St. Louis had three points. So St. Louis has three points on the last 10 Lightning goals, which isn't bad, but the Lightning aren't really being very successful in scoring goals. So unfortunately, you're just going to have to ride him out. So frustrating. And because we talked about one of your guys letting you down, rubbing that in your face, we'll talk about one of mine. It's only fair. Tyler Sagan might be getting hit by regression. His PDO is a fairly lofty 105 and his shot percentage is over 17 percent and while I don't doubt his ability to produce at an elite level him being pointless in his last four games could be just the beginning of a come down 
Interestingly, he's also seen a three or four minute drop in ice time over the last few games. Maybe it's starting to become clear that a point per game pace was too much to expect from him. I just sort of looked at his numbers every week and thought, yay, instead of really looking into them. Though I think he'll still be good for about 60 or 65 points on the season at least. And I'm sort of hoping he plays above his head all year, which if anyone should know that won't happen, it should be me. (laughs) Well, definitely he's someone that you've got as your keeper. So hopefully you'll have great years with him down the road, even if this year he only gets you 60, 65 points. Yes, and the same for you in St. Louis. May you have another 10 years of happiness together. Yeah, well, I'm hoping St. Louis will have a Gordie Howe-like run, play right into his 50s. I'll be winning my pools every year. That's going to do it for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Cue that outro music. You could email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. You could tweet at us, at keepingcarlson. Brian, thanks for all of the advice. I think I'm going to turn it around for next week. This has been a lot of fun, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Elon. I'll talk to you next week. Good luck to everybody in the next week of their pools.